Welcome back to episode three of season three of Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I am joined by Dr. Lachlan Giles and Professor Lachlan Giles. And the reason we give him two titles, which we talk about in this episode, is because, well, first of all, Lachlan has a PhD in physiotherapy, and also he is a black belt who also goes by the title of Professor, or most black belts do. But in this episode, Lachlan discusses why he doesn't like it. For those of you who come to this episode, you may know Lachlan Giles as an international worldwide jiu-jitsu practitioner, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. He's pretty famous in the world of jiu-jitsu. He has appeared on the EBI, the Eddie Bravo Invitational. He's appeared on Polaris and many other international jiu-jitsu competitions. You may have seen him on UFC Fight Pass or other pay-per-view jiu-jitsu competitions and he has also been a competitor in the ADCC, an international uh, grappling competition. Lachlan comes from Melbourne in Australia and he runs his own school there called Absolute MMA in St Kilda. It's a great school and if you ever get a chance to go and train there with those guys, they are world-class, probably one of the best jiu-jitsu schools in the country. In this episode with Lachlan, we discuss jiu-jitsu, how he travels, how he studies or has done research, and how he basically balances all these different things, you know, preparing for competition whilst running a school back in Australia. And uh, I think as of recording this right now, this intro, Lachlan is competing in Europe, so he's constantly on the move and trying to run a school. And he did that as well whilst he was doing his PhD, so um, if anybody can give us some tips and tricks on managing it yourself, we'll be Lachlan. So, before we get into the episode, we do have an advertisement today from Nordic Fitness. If you do want to avail of the special offer, there is a code associated with that. And that code, which is not mentioned in the ad, is SLEEP, S-L-E-E-P, Ian, I-A-N, that's me, D-20. That's SLEEP, Ian, D-20. And if you use that, you'll get a 20% discount at the checkout. So this is a great course, and actually I was one of the lecturers on this course and other worldwide international sort of speakers have been on this course as well a sleep recovery specialist course so go over and check it out and if you do want to buy a sleep end 20 and you get 20 percent off at the checkout there as always you can follow us at sleepforperformance.com.au on facebook and on the website and on twitter at sleepforperform and if you wish to email me it's ian dunican at sleepforperformance.com.au now into the advert for about 15 seconds and then we'll be into the episode Exercise and diet are well established in society as two pillars for optimizing our health. However, both are supported by a foundation that is often forgotten, yet even more integral to our health, namely sleep. The Sleep Recovery Specialist course is an innovative online education experience that provides an in-depth knowledge base, important sleep assessment tools, and a wide range of effective strategies for supporting clients to improve their sleep habits and behaviors. Improve your sense of happiness and well-being, daily energy and alertness, recovery from physical training, reduce risk of obesity and diabetes, and reduce your appetite and sweet cravings. Achieve all of this and more. For further information and to enroll online, please visit www.nordicfitnesseducationblog.com. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio, Season 2, Episode 3, Version Number 2. We've just been speaking for 28 minutes and we lost the entire recording. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's a Sunday evening. I don't need this shit on a Sunday evening. Like, I just want to relax. But anyway, thanks, Lucky, for doing that again. Today I'm joined by uh, Dr. or Professor Lachlan Giles. Which would you prefer? Uh, I prefer Dr. 
I don't, I don't like the jujitsu professor term. <laughs> I think that's, I, I think of as professor as a academic professor. So academic professor, yeah. So uh, which 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 is not me. So um, uh, I'll go with doctor. <laughs> so, so someone said to me recently, it's a. Uh, it's harder to it's harder to get a black belt in jiu jitsu than to get a PhD, and I said, mm, I don't know about that, but anyway, I'm not going to fight you on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so maybe so it that, takes longer. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, if you think if you think, if you think about if you think about degree, masters, you know, PhD, all added together, that that could be close yeah. enough on ten, ten years, nearly every day. So, um, well, you also got to include high school education as well. So. A lot of pit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm a black belt in school. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> so today I'm joined by uh, Dr. Lachlan Giles, doctor, doctor. And Lachlan is, for those you may know, is a competitive jiu jitsu athlete competing here in Australia and on the world stage as well. Um, in conjunction with that, Lachlan has a PhD in the area of physiotherapy. So, Lachlan, do you want to give us a quick background of how you got into doing jiu-jitsu and martial arts? Yep. When I was in high school, I watched a few kung fu movies and watching one person beat up you know, 20 people at once, I thought, oh, it would be cool if I could do that. Uh, so, I went and looked around and enrolled in a kung fu school that was near where I lived. And the coach there had trained a little bit of jiu-jitsu and incorporated some of that into his style. So I was exposed to grappling a little bit at that stage, but not heaps. And then at some point, like most people's, at least when I first started, this was most people's story in starting jiu-jitsu, which was after watching Hoist Gracie in UFC 1. I saw him beat up people from other martial arts and I thought, well, if this one seems to be winning, then I better start some jiu-jitsu. So then I got started and, and went from there and stopped. And so when you were doing jiu-jitsu, did you ever think about actually doing MMA as well? Did that ever appeal to you? Yeah. Uh, I think actually that's probably what I was more interested, you know, like when I was first started, I wasn't interested in jiu-jitsu as a sport so much as I was interested in like learning how to learn self-defense basically. So I started like I, you know, I used to watch a lot of UFC and, and even Pride back in those days. Um, and uh, in fact, even for my jiu-jitsu, most of my inspiration for the techniques I would use were, were like grappling moves that I saw in UFC or Pride more so than at the World Championships. Like I would now be, you know, obviously, mo- I very rarely watch MMA for grappling inspiration nowadays. I usually will watch. Um, like a jiu-jitsu, a high-level jiu-jitsu competition because I think it's much more advanced what's been, what's going on there when you're not having to worry about someone punching you in the head. Yeah. What do you think of the uh, new competition that Sakuraba has, the quintet? What's your... Uh... I think it's a really good format. Yeah, it's, it, it adds an extra element to just like... Um, the thing is, at the moment, you... You know, if an event's on at the moment, like if it's a boring match, then you're not invested in it at all. Like all that matters is whoever wins or loses that match. But when it's the quintet format, like even if it's a boring match, it still actually matters overall to which team wins. So you can still have be a bit more invested in who wins even the match that you're not so interested in normally. And will we uh, will we see an absolute team compete in the uh, quintet? <laughs> I'd like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to approach me. That, that would be good. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. Uh, we actually were speaking about this the other day in our gym in Western Australia. We were talking about different forms of quintet. 
at the Academy of Mixed Martial Arts and we were thinking about maybe you would have a black belt, a brown belt, a purple belt, a blue belt and a white belt plus the weight. That would be interesting. That'd be something to do. But then somebody was yep. saying, somebody was asking if Absolute in Melbourne was having a quintet, was it going to be in quintet? And I said, oh, I don't, I don't know. I said, it would be cool to see them in it. But we were, people were saying yourself, Craig Jones, Kit Dale, and what's the other gentleman's name? Brown Belt, uh, Mishka, how do you pronounce Mikhail. it? Mikhail. <laughs> Mikhail. Yeah, like he, you know, the, well. between all of you guys, you'd have a pretty strong team, like. You know, yeah, from, I think we could have a pretty good. I think we could have a good team. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really cool if they if they did that. That'd be yeah. that'd be really good. But, well, I, I think I think Sakuraba and the UFC listens to this podcast, so hopefully, you know, they'll they'll hit oh, that's you. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so lucky. Um, what at what age did you start competing? When did you start getting into it from a competitive standpoint of view? When did you really want to kind of you know start mixing it up with some of the big boys, so to speak, in jujitsu? I probably didn't take. I mean, I started competing when I pretty much from when I started. Um, actually, I think my first <laughs> my first competition ever was I fought a girl, and I won. <laughs> <laughs> well, not lucky. <laughs> I think, actually, I think I won a uh, I, I won a training bag for fastest finish in that match, and that was the training bag I used for the next ten years. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have no I have no comment on that. Yeah. I don't know what to say on that. You beat up a girl for a bag. Yeah, exactly. And so this is how you would live, mate, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, you were obviously a kid. Let's 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 make that. Yeah, clear. Was, you were, yeah, you were complete as a kid. Yeah, so yeah. probably 50, 50 kilos. And I think yeah. so. This this girl was. I think she was from the states. Like she was. I think. She was decent and she was in Melbourne for, I don't know what for, but she wanted to go in the competition and she was the only girl. So the obvious matchup was to put the, because um, she, she would have been much lighter than the rest of the guys. So the obvious matchup was for her was to put her against the, the, the kid. Yeah. yeah. But I knew one thing, which was an armbar, I think then, and that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so when when did you start competing seriously when you start doing like sort of pan packs, ADCC, all these big jiu-jitsu competitions? What age were you when you started getting into those? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think when I, I, so I think I went in pan packs and, and um, I'm going to shadow nationals sort of when I was, as I was coming up through Purple Belt, but I think probably not until I was like, 22 21 22 that i started to like you know thinking about trying to to win you know like pan packs as, as more of a goal than just like oh, i'll just jump in a competition because it's on yeah, sort yeah. of thing so, so yeah. more more focused yeah yeah and so what's your what's your lineage lachlan from a jiu-jitsu perspective like you know tracing it back to the to the source who did you train under to get your black belt and uh, oh it's it's sort of changed a bit because uh, I started out under Tyrone Cross, and he was running uh, Hangar Four, which is where I first initially started, uh, which was at an, air- at an airport hangar in Essendon. And then he, I think I got up to Purple Belt under Tyrone, and then that school like split up, and Hangar Four moved to like a totally different suburb, which was Preston, and. I stuck with it, but they, I think Tyrone lost interest in coaching for a moment, so he stopped coaching there. And then uh, they brought John Simon on, who, who I got my black belt under John Simon, who's John Will's first black belt. So I guess it's a John Will, Hegan Machado lineage uh, in yeah. terms of my black belt. John Simon then 
sort of uh, he had a few injuries and he basically just and he was he, he basically hadn't been able to roll so he decided he's actually just going to give up jujitsu uh, which was a real shame because he was, was really good great coach um and then, so that was you know I was, I was a black belt then and I, I didn't have a coach and probably a year later Liv and I traveled around for a bit even represented alliance for a moment alliance jiu-jitsu because we we trained there for six months before the world so i had fabio gurgel signing off on my <laughs> certificate at some point but then uh when we opened up absolute uh so i'm now grading under tiago stefanuti who's the head coach at absolute so all right so you had a bit of a bit of a kind of a gypsy career as a that's right yeah yeah coming up yeah well actually kind of it does reflect my you know, like I had a lot of influences from a lot of different clubs throughout my development as well. I think so- somehow as a brown belt, maybe late purple brown, um, I managed to sort of transcend the politics a bit. And I was training, you know, with the guys at Dominance, uh, the Australian Elite Team, some of the guys from Beans at Absolute. I was, I was sort of able to train with a whole bunch of people, which I actually attribute a large amount of my improvements to because I got exposed to a lot of different styles of games, um, which I think, you know, especially before the internet era, before everyone could just kind of look up what Rafael Mendes was doing and copy that and, and watch him teach a class and do that. Like everyone pretty much just did what their coach does. Taught, yeah. you know? Like there was no large outside influences on, on people's jiu-jitsu. So going around to different gyms and seeing those different styles and being exposed to it uh, was, was a massive help. And for you now as a coach, do you encourage your students to cross-train at other clubs or are you... Cause yeah, like, I do, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the, re- the reason I'm asking, for people who don't know, in jiu-jitsu, some people are like, you cannot train any other club. And some people get kicked out of clubs for training elsewhere, even if they're on holidays yeah. in a different country. So it's kind of very much this closed kind of door on some clubs, but other clubs are very open. Like where I train, you know, we can train wherever we want. We're on holidays, yeah. we, can, we can train wherever. So... But that's why I was asking that question. So some people might be like, well, what's that got to do with anything? But in jiu-jitsu, there is a kind of a, there is some crazy kind of thoughts around this, you know? So that's why. Yeah. I, it's a, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I can see why some coaches would be like pushing for that, but I don't know if it, I, can't, I can't come to a conclusion other than it's a more greedy, selfish sort of thing. Like it's, it's clearly advantageous to allow someone to, to roll with different people and experience different games and so on. Yeah, I can't really see too many negative sides. Maybe, maybe like, uh, you know, maybe if you, you don't want your, um, you got some crazy spazzy student that injures everyone, you might not want them to go to another gym and they'll think you're all nuts from that gym. Like, from, from like uh, you know, how well they represent the club <laughs> point of view or something. I, I don't know. But uh, now, like for, for me, for me, I, I'm – happy for our students to, to train anywhere I, I encourage it i think it's good yeah like when I, when I first started you know even as a white belt i trained in the u.s when i was there for work and so on so i'm sure there's probably people in a gym in utah going that australian guy that sounds irish that's actually 40 but looks like he's 70 yeah he was a bit spazzy so i think, oh, really? <laughs> I think that's what they'd be saying about, saying about me you know <laughs> so um i went i went i went to trend at a, a, a carlson gracie school in maui and uh, I had just finished I, doing a 100-mile run a few days before that. I got to Hawaii and was like, oh, i got to go and train some jiu-jitsu. So I was down about like 71 kilos, you know. 
and I was like completely depleted. And I went and I went in, and um, you know they were just throwing me around. I was still a white belt, and uh, they were like looking at me, and I said, oh, "I just ran a hundred miles today." They were probably going, "This guy is not only crap at jujitsu, but he's also a liar as well." You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember getting absolutely murked. You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there you go, people. Um, you know, anybody can, anybody can do it. I, I, they even gave me a brown belt out of pity last week. So, um, you know, if I can do it. Congratulations anything, for yeah. that, by the way. Yeah, thanks, man. It's, I call it a tan belt. It's a light brown belt. <laughs> tan, tan belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went, I went the first to... Tan, it's the first tan you've uh, got. <laughs> for, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite tanned at the moment. I've been doing a lot of swimming. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was rolling with somebody the other night, and my geek came up and they went, "How tanned are you?" In the middle of a roll, I was like, "I've been swimming as I was going upside down." <laughs> um, so, speaking of competitions and rolling, lucky when you do compete against these international people like JT Torres, um, you know Robert Satoshi, all these kind of high level people you see on Men Morris or Men Musil, as some people call it. <laughs> when you see people in all these different competitions, does, do you get kind of weirded out when you go to kind of? you know, start these competitions and the camera's on and, you know, it's live and people are watching. Does it make you nervous? Yeah, I think um, sometimes, yes. Like, I mean, obviously, every time I compete, you have some level of nerves. So I've never just felt absolutely nothing. But um, I actually think I get more nervous when I'm expected to win than, than when uh, I'm fighting, you know, a, a big name. If that makes sense. So I feel yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, you get nervous from the pressure you put on yourself. Yeah, um, and sometimes when you're fighting, you know, you're fighting a JT Torres, you're like, okay, this is my chance to, you know, go hard, potentially, you know, cause an upset and, you know, uh, shock the world. Whereas it can be, you're fighting, you know, local guy from down the road who you, sh- you know, on paper you should beat. You can be more nervous for that sometimes because, like, you know, if, if I mess up, this could look really bad. Which it's funny because in reality, everyone knows that no one actually cares how you do it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then, like you see these people so nervous you're like just relax no one actually cares like at all yeah um, yeah i mean they, they want you to do well but they don't care like they, they don't care like they want you to do well for your sake um more so than you know they're gonna think less of you because yeah, you yeah. won or lost the competition if that makes sense yeah so, so, but what about the night before one of those competitions, Lucky? Let's say like an EBI, you know, it's going to be on UFC yeah. Fight Pass. It's all these high level people. You're in this like, you know, this big tournament. Yeah. What's it like? What's it like um, the night, night, night before? Is it nerving? Do you sleep well? Is it okay? It's gotten, I think that's definitely something that's gotten better over time. Like, um, I'm pretty good at not really thinking about it until day of the combo or when I arrive to the competition. Now, like, a, a, you know, a big competition maybe the day before I'll, you know, for every now and then I'll like, you know, think about it and I'll, for a moment it'll bother me, but I, you know, you went back a, a long time ago, I'd, you know, you're stressing out for a full week, you know, before a competition. That was, you know, quite a while away. But I think the more you compete, the less, the less of that you get. The less nerves, uh, yeah. And what about when you're, let's say, before a competition, you probably cut some amount of weight, do you? Do you do you cut weight these days anymore for a comp? I try to as little as I can, but uh, as as less as less often as I can. Yeah, um, but yeah, like for for a big competition, yeah, like for Nogi Worlds at the end of the year, I'll I'll drop a little bit of weight. For, well, that'll be an interesting one actually, because um, I've got ADCC beforehand, and then yeah, so that'll be 
And so what, what, weight, what weight classes will you compete there? So like? ADCC will be 77, and then I'm hoping to get to 73 the following week. 73, yeah. So okay. It'll be a four kilo week somehow. Will you, will you, will Reed, you be? Reed, Reed, can be uh, Reed can be all over it. <laughs> I was going to say we should consult our friend Dr. Reed Real, yeah. who uh, yes. did, he, did his PhD in weight cutting. So Reed is also a black belt, and uh, myself, Reed, and Lucky have laughed many a time. So um, yeah. So so we all actually met at the um, Australian Institute of Sport for a judo. For anyone who's listening, uh, Ian and and Reed and I all well, actually I knew Reed already, but yeah. we all met at the Australian Institute of Sport for a, a judo training camp. That's and right. Ian yeah, I was doing a study there. And I was doing the physio work there, and yeah, yeah. That was a uh, that was an int- that was interesting. That was because uh, I walked onto the mats and Reed goes, oh, "There's a guy coming today. He's really good at jiu-jitsu. And luckily, luckily, he was all like nice and quiet and put on his gi. And I was like, "Oh, he's the same size as me. I know he's a black belt, but he's the same size as me. This will be all right." And next minute, I was just like mashed into the mat. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Your jiu-jitsu style does not represent your." Uh, you know, people say that, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. People say your jiu-jitsu is very much your personality, and so because my personality is probably going to be then because I just go for heel hooks and ankle locks. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a sneaky, <laughs> I'm a sneaky person. Sneaky, yeah, but your yours wasn't that at all. You were all mild mannered, and then you were just like mash me into the mat and absolutely breaking my legs apart with half guard smashing past and I was like this is bullshit this is this is not right <laughs> but then I saw you doing it to Reed and Reed was a brown belt at the time so I didn't feel too bad you know and Reed's yeah. about 95 kilos so I was like all right so that bad. <laughs> but yeah that's how we that's how we all met there was a big judo camp with Japanese judo Australia and New Zealand so so yeah and we're actually doing a study there on looking at the effects of electronic devices at the time which was quite interesting. So, Lucky, how, how do you normally sleep then? Like when you're in a training camp or at home, let's say back in Melbourne, what's a normal um, week of sleep for you? Pretty much. Like, so every day I train at 10 a.m. And that's every day of the week. So Monday to Sunday. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I usually try to get up about 9, 9 a.m. So, and, and I usually will sleep around 12 or 1 o'clock. So I'm getting like 8 to 9 hours a night if everything goes well occasionally i'll have to get up a little earlier for something but usually i really i feel like for me if i get less than if i get less than seven hours sleep like during the day i am useless like useless i'll have to i'll have to nap or else i'll just conk out i don't know some people they like that and i'm one of them so yeah but you're more of a it sounds like you're more of a nighttime person or an owl chronotype because you're going to bed late and getting up late. If you were if you yeah. were free of any training, would you still do the same? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you always been like that? Just, re- just reminding me of like uh, school holidays when I was uh, you know fourteen or something, and I'm pretty sure I would stay up till like three a.m. and sleep in till midday, <laughs> <laughs> and I, for no reason. Like, yeah. I think I think we've all done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, a few people asked me asked me to ask you some questions, Lucky, on this podcast today. So you say you train okay. seven days a week. So the first question was, what do you do for strength and conditioning? <laughs> well, I didn't used to do strength and conditioning. I've actually started. Oh, really? Because I said I yeah. actually said I think the answer's got to be just jujitsu because that's me too. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I still think that's the most important <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, no, I actually do a little bit now. Actually, it's probably more. Oh, I, th- I think there's benefits to, to doing it, but I think um, because I'm with my my ultimate goal is ADCC, and I want to try to do really well in ADCC. 
and and wrestling so important. And I think wrestling, wrestling, you have to be explosive. Yeah, um, you have to be able to lift people up, and you have to be explosive. And it's I think because I've had a very slow, methodical jujitsu style uh, for a while. I've never been a real fast twitch sort of person. It's 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 been a hard task trying to adapt to, to wrestling where, where it's a lot faster. So yeah, I've been trying to do a lot of strength work based around, well, not a lot, but actually I'm trying to do what a pharmacologist would call a minimal required effective dose, yeah. which is basically like the minimum amount possible that will still have an effect. You know, so I'm not doing like you know, heaps of sets to fatigue, like, like someone might do if they're doing just a strength training program, but like just enough that I think will will uh, improve my strength and power but not impact my ability to train and improve my technique. So how, how many of those sessions would you normally do in a week? One or two? We're trying to do two a week. Two a week. Yeah. yeah. And, and are you using more like traditional kind of bench press, deadlift, squat, or are you going more with kettlebells and functional movement type stuff? Yeah, and I'm more like uh, – so I'm not doing really doing bench press. Like uh, I'm doing box squats – um, some of the, like I had a powerlifter go through, um, some of his like, uh, program for me, which, which was like a, a basically, I'm actually horrible with the, the weightlifting terms. <laughs> I know what the <laughs> movement is, but, uh, the, I think it's a clean, a clean, but just like how he does that. Cause it's a, you know, obviously they need a lot of power to, to do that. Yeah. And it's quite relevant to, to the same sort of movement. So a lot of it, you know, most of it's leg based. Yeah, what I'm doing, and I've been doing a little bit of grip training as well because I think grips are extremely important for for grappling. If you've got strong grips, that's actually one thing I've noticed. I've never never rolled a top jiu-jitsu person that didn't have crazy strong grips. Yeah, yeah, uh, like a really high level. Like when Craig grabs your wrist, like it's very different to anyone else in the gym. You know, it's like very noticeable. He grabs your wrist, and you're like. All right, I'm not moving my my hand now. Whereas anyone else, you can kind of fight to free that. So it's just like the the advantage that gives you to be able to control someone just from a grip is. is yeah. But was he was he always like that? Because he, I remember when I first met Craig at the old Absolute Place in South Yarra, he was quite skinny. He was like, yeah, 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 seventy five, seventy six kilos. What did he start doing? Did he go get on some crazy diet, or did he just he started lifting? I don't think he used to time. lift. Um, Lifting and eating, I, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Like, because we we were both going to do ADCC at seventy seven kilos. Uh, this is the most recent one, uh, ADCC. So last year, this would have been like probably two years ago. Then we're both going to compete at seventy seven kilos, and we decided that we would have a in in house fight, me against Craig, and whoever wins gets to stay at seventy seven, and whoever loses <laughs> goes up to, to eighty eight. And I think we went for like, I think we went for like twenty or thirty minutes, like no, it kept being like no score, and, or like or we would both score within the thing, and the points are even. And then I think I somehow uh, something happened, and I managed to get a takedown or something and win that. But I'm glad that was then because that wouldn't happen now. <laughs> By the time the actual ADCC came around, he was just an absolute beast. Obviously, saw him beating Leandro Lowe and so on. But um, yeah, so, uh, so he went up to 88 and I guess because he qualified for that, he decided he was going to try and actually be you know, closer to that weight weight range. Yeah. 
He's absolutely, you know, yeah, massive guy now compared to what he was. Oh, he's like 95 kilos or something, yeah. Yeah, I think at Quintet last week, he weighed in at 88 or something, that's it, or... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Maybe. I think I think that's he was in Quintet, but I don't know if he dropped for that either, so I have no idea, but yeah, he's 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 pretty big and strong looking now, so he's not like he's a... I remember rolling when he was a purple belt, and he was 75, 76 kilos, and he was strong, but he was pretty skinny, like he wasn't... Yeah. And then I did a seminar with him a few months ago, and he grabbed me the same thing as you, and I thought, "Oh shit, this guy is like made of steel now," you know. So, yeah, so he's hitting his peak, and I'm declining. So it's a, it's quite different. So, um, lucky uh, in conjunction with the jujitsu sort of career that you have, you also have this PhD in physiotherapy that you obtained probably about what a year and a half, two years ago. You finished. Yeah. When was it? Yeah, it's probably close to two years now. Yeah. Yeah. And and so this has led to a new thing um, in in your academy where you've been doing some research. I don't know if it, it's not really so much linked with physio, but you do have those scientific skills around research and development and, um, you know, research questions and, and writing papers. And I hear recently on the Raspberry App podcast where Ben Hudson blurted out that you were doing a study but then couldn't give any information about it, that you were doing yeah, a yeah. study around learning techniques for jiu-jitsu practitioners. Can you tell us a little bit about that study you're doing? Yeah, so when we were in Thailand, uh, we had a guy. His name was Tom, who was he's from the UK, but he um, he had I think he leads the athletic development at, for uh, the Qatar track and field team. Um, so he's pretty high up in in like skill acquisition and and, he, and, he, and in that position. So we were talking about class structure and different ways of training, and I was just, I was very curious. From what he'd read on the research, and you know, he's very well read in the research and literature in that field. Like, what, what is the best? What does he think the best way to train jujitsu was? Yeah, and there's a lot of things. There's, I think, the problem I have with the current research. Not like it's a, it's a area that hasn't really been studied, but like jujitsu is extremely complicated, extremely complicated. So a lot of the research has been on things like, you know, you shoot a basketball. Uh, so this is basically like one, one of the main things is, is random versus block training. So basically if you are trying to get good at shooting a basketball, if you stand in the one shot spot and shoot the ball over and over again, you will get better within that session at, at, at getting the ball in the hoop. But when you retest it the next time, uh, or like, you know, if you give them a, a scenario where in, in a game you had to try to shoot the ball, you wouldn't have improved as much at it as if, if in one session you're actually moving around from different spots shooting a ball. That makes sense? Yeah. So that's random versus block, as they, as they call it. Block is, is doing the same thing over and over, and random is different things. But so, which, which is really interesting. But my question is like, uh, at least my question is how random. That need to be and what you know like because even though that's random like you're shooting it from a different area it's still pretty much the same <laughs> like it's still a pretty simple yeah task. yeah you could argue that because you know because then the the implications are that you know maybe you're better off in jiu-jitsu instead of doing your half guard sweep over and over again for five minutes in a row like as drilling like maybe you're better off doing bunch of different moves at different times because it's like uh it's as in like so you do a half guard sweep then do a, a pass then something else and then come back and do a half guard sweep or like working different things at at once um 
would be better than doing the same thing over and over again. That's that's what the research would say. But I think there's a there's a lot of extra factors. At least for me, thinking about it, that this is not. I'm not talking from an academic point of view because my my expertise is not in skill acquisition. So someone yeah. might be able to tell me whether I'm right or wrong here. But like, for example, if you were doing the the half guard sweep over and over again, um, you, you might be recognizing things each time. Like each time, you might be recognizing areas that weren't quite right and trying to fix them and and so on. And sometimes, like a lot of things, need to be. I think in jujitsu, like you actually have to consciously be aware of what's like you want to be consciously aware of what you could do to improve it for the next time. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you sometimes if you did your half guard sweep and then you did four other techniques and you come back, you might not be quite in the same mindset to actually be trying to fix the thing that you wanted to to fix again. But right? that that could be the case. It could it could not be. Um, but with our study. That we're doing we're actually doing that in for, for live training so um so like is it better to work from the same position so basically it's a for the for over 11 sessions uh people are going to work three different positions of their choosing um and we're and they're recording whether they win or lost each each time they you start from your position so let's say you're working de la Hiva guard and i'm working finishing from the back or whatever so like I would, I come into that session and I start from the back. And I have to try and finish. If I finish, I win. If they get out, then I, I, I write down a loss. Yes, yeah, so it's win or loss. And so for the first part of the study, each, so you do three sessions in a row just from the back and then another position, three sessions in a row from that position. Uh, so that, yeah, so, and then three sessions in a row from another position like that. Uh, so that's the block sort of training. And we're comparing that to random training, so to doing three different positions, but all train in the one session. So you rotate between the three positions in that one session. So it's eleven. Yeah, it's eleven weeks because we've got the um, the initial session is a testing session. So you do all three positions just to get a baseline, and the eleventh session is a baseline, like a sorry, a final sort of assessment. So then you've got within that you've got three sets of of three weeks on the position or you're just doing 11 weeks straight of a random, of, sorry, of, of the three positions each in the same session. So, so really, um, the, really the goal here, Lockie, is to improve that live training. So in, in, a, in a normal class that you run, if I get this right, you got some technique, you have live training, and then we have like kind of open rolling. And in that live yeah. train, in that live training, you might be starting from a specific sp- position, such as underneath yeah. and half guard on top and the mount underneath and the mount, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so when you're looking, you might, you might be just looking for an escape from underneath in the mount. You might be saying, I want to escape from this, this position and get a straight ankle lock. Yeah. But then the second time I do it, I might be underneath in half guard. And the third time I might do it, I might be starting with somebody on my back. So you keep going for that. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to constantly starting in half guard each time over and over and over exactly. and over again. Yes. Yeah. 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 So the, the research currently in skill acquisition would, would suggest that doing the random thing is going to be better. I don't know whether that's going to be the case or not <laughs> in jiu-jitsu, but it'll be interesting to to find out. Do you have any yeah, preliminary, so, preliminary data that indicates either way? No, not yet, because uh, it's going to take away. One thing I didn't factor in 
so it's going to take longer than I thought because getting people to essentially people have to do 22 sessions, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah, yeah uh, and this is like at specific time points. So if they miss that, you know, if they're away that week or whatever, then it kind of prolongs it a bit. But so yeah, no preliminary data yet. But it'll it'll be re- like you know we'll finish it. It'll be really interesting to look at. Yeah, I don't. I actually, I mean, uh, going on with with sleep. Here, here's one reason why I think working the three like the random might be better. Possibly, usually. Uh, well, let, let's say you, you know, which which we know you do learn your sleep, or like you consolidate your learning in your in your sleep. I'll bring it back to the podcast theme as well. <laughs> um, but theoretically, if you've done eleven sessions on a topic, even if you're only doing it less each session, you've got eleven consolidation of the learning, like occurrences where your brain can consolidate the the yeah. learning, or you know interpret the the data that it's had to interpret overnight and then come back and improve upon compared to the essentially three sessions in the other group so it could be that now that that might mean that the random is better but i also you know i'm I'm really not sure (laughs) what do you think though lucky on this it's a a really interesting yeah, it is an interesting question, but do you, know, do, you know what, do you know what it's bringing up for me is like it's even different learning styles. So like for me, yeah. I, I like that kind of structure to practice and learn at school, let's say, for example, or at uni. Yeah. But at jiu-jitsu, I'm so sick of learning in a structured fashion in my life that I want jiu-jitsu to be fun. So I like yeah. the randomness of it and I like... I would like to have all those different positions. So I, I would like to be like, okay, let's start here. Let's start in this crazy position. Um, yeah, you know all those type of things. Where my wife, who's far more structured than I am, and completely on kind of personality yeah. scale, is completely the opposite. She would lie on the ground and drill half guard sweeps for two hours straight. So, do yeah. you think it might be a personality thing as well? Possibly. I, I'm. I'm not sure. I think like. Um, did I just ruin? Be, did I just ruin your study? Yeah, it'd be <laughs> interesting to know. No, no, no. no. Um, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to. To know whether, whether well, I th- like, I think probably if you enjoy like the the, the training style that you enjoy, it's probably the one that you're going to learn more with too. You know, I think there's yeah. a lot of factors like that. So if you like learn, if you like training that way, that's going to probably have a positive impact. Like I, I'm pretty sure there there is some research showing that if you like for, for learning, you know, a skill motor skill learning, but like if you felt like the session was productive then you're more likely to learn. Like how you felt about the session is yeah, an yeah. important factor in, in whether you actually learn it, which I think kind of makes sense. Like from an evolutionary point of view, kind of makes sense. Like if you went to hunt a lion <laughs> um, and you were successful and you felt good, then you would want like you're to reinforce all that things that you did on that day or whatever. Whereas if you weren't successful, I don't know, maybe – you're less likely to want to reinforce those habits that you, yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so lucky. That's, um, that's, in, independent of the study that you're doing now, what tips? Yeah. What tips would you give to people, regardless of that study that you're running, um, to increase yeah. increase their grappling knowledge or get better? You know, pretty quick at jujitsu because you guys have got a lot yeah. of people in your gym that kind of got the black belt mm. very quick or got very successful, yeah. and and not just. I've rolled with guys there that are just 
you know, they're like me, they're sort of older amateur going there for fun, but they're very, very good. Um, what sort of tips would you give people to accelerate their own jiu-jitsu, no matter what they were doing, whether it be competitive or amateur, having just having fun? Yeah, um, I mean, it depends. Like uh, some of these things I'm going to suggest will take a lot of time and some of them are just more like um, things that you, you could do. So like, I mean, I think if you can, I think especially for people early on, like drilling is is really good, getting that, you know, you don't want to be thinking about where to put your arm or your leg while you're doing a technique. That should kind of happen because you've done it so many times that you you don't have to think about the, the sequence of events and then you can actually be thinking about the, the problems that the person's presenting you and how you're going to deal with that. Yeah. So let's say half guard sweep. If you didn't know, if you didn't feel comfortable, like really comfortable with how to put your underhook and where to put your underhook and how to put your underhook, then and if you have to be thinking about that, then you're not going to be thinking about the counter that they're doing to for something else, yeah? Whereas yeah. if the underhook comes automatically because you've done it so many times, then the, the rest, you know, you can start thinking about the problems that the opponent's presenting. So I think drilling is important. Definitely having a purpose for each training session. Actually, that was something that Tom, uh, the guy that was at Thailand, was talking about as well, But that, which is something I found really interesting, but like even for like a – you know, a volleyball or, or a, if you're doing shot put or something like every single training, no, no one ever goes to a training session just to train. There's always a purpose to the, like they're showing up and they're like, I'm working on this particular skill set in my, you know, volleyball or, or whatever. Like I'm fixing this gap in my, my game. And, and I think it's exactly the same in Jiu Jitsu. Like you want to show up and you want to go, okay, I'm fixing my, my, you know, I'm working on my half guard today or this or that, or I'm not going to get, I've been bow and arrow choked, you know, every session. I'm going to get to that position, but I'm not let them get to that position, but I'm going to get out of that choke, whatever it is, but like showing up and actually um, having a purpose instead of just showing up to train or, or to win, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge thing. Like uh, I would strongly recommend people to watch international level competitors, try to pick someone to emulate. I think that's the best I think humans are pretty good at emulating, copying people. It's a lot easier than making it up yourself. So watch someone who's really high level, watch what they do and just try to copy, try to emulate what they do for like a month or, or whatever or however long it takes you to feel confident with that particular move that you want to work. But I, but I do think go by, like get good at, get good at the things that you see. Like if you watch a lot of jujitsu, Things that you see most commonly are the things you want to get good at. You don't want to be good at like a weird move that you know you've seen once. Yeah, you know, like yeah. a. I think like for example, not that it's it can be effective, but rubber guard gets way overplayed in, in jiu-jitsu schools compared to how actually effective you see it in the international high-level matches. You don't see that many, like you see very few rubber guard submissions but you'll see every you know every gym there's like a lot of people who have gone, oh this looks cool i'm gonna do rubber guard instead of going like oh, okay like okay every every single good jiu-jitsu guy is good at taking the back every single jiu-jitsu guy is like you know has a good guard retention good pass like good knee cut pass like the, the things that you see a lot like that um like the like taking the back knee cut pass 
guard retention or you know a half guard for example delaheva you see a lot in, in gi for example but like you want to focus on that there's a reason why you see it a lot because it's really effective um, and the more obscure unless you see something the harder it's going to be to get to work on a, on a good opponent and if you're not trying to even though you might not you know not everyone here is going to sorry not everyone listening <laughs> especially is trying to be a world champion but you still want to make the most out of the time you put into jiu-jitsu and in terms of like if you want to improve the, the most you still want to work moves that are going to work against the the most amount of people yeah um, so it doesn't have to be that you're trying to beat a world champion in you know in training but you still want to do moves that would work for a world champion yeah no it's a pretty interesting thing because even if i go for a run or i go to swimming or whatever it might be i'm like okay i'm gonna to go to the pool i'm gonna do two k's i'm gonna do you know 500 meter warm-up i'm gonna do some drills and i'm gonna do some sprints in the pool that's my that's my goal yeah. but i can tell you now that 99 times <laughs> times of 100 i show up to jiu-jitsu i'm like i don't know i just go to, go to jiu-jitsu <laughs> you know it's like you know yeah. and that's that's really interesting for me because i never I suppose I've always looked at jiu-jitsu as more of a kind of a, a fun outlet for me. Uh, it's a place where I yeah. go to mates, have some fun, yeah, yeah. have a bit of a grapple. Yeah. But in saying that, it, it, I should have at least even, you know, even a primary purpose of, okay, today I'm going to work on, you know, letting, yeah. people, letting people take my back and defending. Or I'm going to work, I'm gonna work good, on... Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I even noticed a massive difference. So I'm, I'm working a lot on wrestling at the moment, which is really good. Because it's a new, a newer skill set, so there's lots more for me to improve. But you know, I, I was trying to, and, I, and I'm still trying to write down, like a, a write down, just a lesson, like just a little note, like these are the six dot points that I want to try to improve. I, I was doing a private lesson, some private lessons with Talbot, and I will, he's away at the moment, but I'll be continuing that when he's when he gets back. But that sometimes I would forget to write it. And we were just like, oh, let's just do whatever we work on. And it was a much less productive session for me mm -hmm. than when I actually wrote down like, you know, a list of six things and just like, okay, boom. You know, I didn't want to waste time. Like I'm like, okay, let's work this, then this, then this. And I'd look at my list and I know, knew exactly what I wanted to, to work. And I think that that's, um, that's hard to do that in a jiu-jitsu class, like as in have a written that, cause that's a private lesson where we're working technique as well. But, um, even just for your rolling in class, you could say, okay, I want to work from here. I want to work from, yeah, yeah. from here and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes jujitsu is so much fun. We just want to go roll and have a laugh, you know? And, um, and that's, that's the most tempting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's, um, no, no one wants, well, actually some people want to drill. Like drilling is not that fun. You know, sitting yeah. there and, you know, repeating a move is not that fun. It's fun when you get it to work on someone though. So sometimes it's, it's worth it yeah so lucky you're yeah. um you mentioned earlier on um you know you're sort of getting a bit older now and you're doing some strength conditioning and how do you find that your recovery and your sleep has played a part in as you get as to be an older athlete although still young at 32 do you find it's becoming harder to recover that sleep is becoming more vital or how does that recovery process work for you yeah um I'm trying to train less at the moment. So it's actually really hard for me to, to gauge like my recovery because I'm trying to train less, but I'm also training, you know, I'm training a lot of wrestling at the moment, which is much harder on the body. So my actual, mm -hmm. my hours I'm putting in are, are much less than 
it would be if I was just doing jujitsu. I think if I was doing just jujitsu, I could put a lot more time in because I'm so much more efficient with my movements. Whereas wrestling, it's you know so many level changes and driving through, and you know like uh, so like I'll find I'll do a wrestling session. Uh, it's not even necessarily that I'm extremely sore, but I'm I'm really trying to I'm trying to keep my soreness level to to a degree that I wake up and I'm like I can't wait to to train today. If that makes sense, like yeah, yeah. sometimes you get too sore and you're like, oh, a day off would actually be would be nice. Like if, if I'm like that, I'm probably not actually going to get that much out of the session. Yeah, so I mean, like I definitely think it's, it's, I haven't quantified it, but I think sleep would probably play a pretty big part in, in my recovery. You know, um, diet probably, you know, probably does. Not that my diet's amazing. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> And what was the other thing? Oh, strength and conditioning, did you say? What was the other thing you said? No, I was just wondering how, because yeah, you're doing like strength and conditioning now as well and you're training jiu-jitsu yeah. and wrestling and sort of like how do you focus on recovery? But I think you've kind of covered that about it's how how you feel in the morning, which is quite an interesting answer because so many people are like, you know, oh, I wonder, do you have an app or I wonder, do you have a watch or do you have a heart rate variability monitor? But you're kind of doing that self-feedback, which is really interesting, which is I like, get up in the morning I'm not so sore that I need to take the day off, but I'm. Yeah. But I've got some soreness, but I'm still hungry to train today. I've still got that kind of yeah. fire in my belly, which is which yeah. is good because I think a lot of people get kind of caught up on biofeedback instead of just listening to their body and, and gauging how they feel instead of having their whole life driven by a metric of an app. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It's uh, the only the only annoying thing is sometimes I like oh I feel good today and then I'll do like three sessions <laughs> and then I'm like <laughs> next day I'm like oh yeah should have done that <laughs> yeah yeah but I, like you know on that same same point as well uh, we've been having some conversations recently with people amateur athletes and as they get older particularly it's about I think having some diversification in your trend as well like I know for me switching constantly every day and I would probably do two a day sessions probably three days of the week I train anywhere yep. from sort of 10 to 14 hours in a week, but I'm constantly changing between, at the moment, swimming, jujitsu, and yoga. So it's constant yep. change. So it's not like seven yep. days a week of, yep. of just hard jujitsu. And if I go to jujitsu, yep. it might be like, okay, right, Saturday, Saturday morning is my big rolling day. Then I'm going to class during the week. I'll have some rolling maybe on a Thursday night, but it's not yep. kind of all out war every time. So I'm constantly cycling those, those sessions to allow for those recovery each day yep. and like you were saying having your sleep and your diet kind of dial in as much as you can as well yeah i think that's good I, I'm, I'm something that i haven't implemented as much as i would like but i think there's in terms of like a smart way to train as well i think there's positions there's some positions in jiu-jitsu that require much less energy and going to get you much less sore and i'd say things like 50 50 and a lot of the leg entanglements Although they might be, um, they're, they're very technical, but it's like kind of different to like trying to smash past someone or, you know, like yeah. things like that where you're going to get like very sore um, very quick. I, I think things like 50 50, which are really important, but also are not that taxing on your body, you could potentially design a program where you spend a bit more time, like, therefore, you can spend more time on that skill per day without getting too too sore and so like trying to develop a game where you're really good at the things 
that don't get you that or like you maximize your skill progression in the areas that don't make you too sore so you can actually spend more time training without getting too sore i think there's a whole field of that that i need to get a bit more into well, it's interesting, in, interesting you say that, Lucky, because out, out of pure need this year, and I know I spoke to you about this as well earlier on the year, and many people may know I had this significant issue with my back up around my neck and uh, with hernia discs, bulging discs, torn brachial plexus, and severe spinal stenosis. I just stopped rolling with people that were over 100 kilos. Yeah. So I just went, right, that's it. If you're over 100 kilos, yeah. I'm not rolling with you. And I've said to the guys yeah. as well at the gym, look, it's nothing personal, but I'm 78 kilos. I oscillate between 77 to 79. My back is absolutely busted. You're 115. It's not happening. I'm sorry. It's just a sheer way. And you know what's really interesting, Lucky? I don't feel half as sore as what I used to because I would just just roll with anybody and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go in here and get stuck underneath, you know, an identical purple belt to me, same amount of time, but he's got like, you know, 30, 40 kilos on me. But the next day I'd wake up and I was walking around like Frankenstein, you know? I was yeah. just couldn't even move my head. I'd be completely to get you in Kesigatami and, and absolutely bust you up. But now yeah. under a hundred kilos seems to be better. And a hundred kilos is still like a fifty pound weight difference for some people, which is still a lot. But it makes yeah. a significant difference not rolling with those big gorillas anymore. Sorry, gorillas, but yeah. it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a yeah, that's a it's a good point. Yeah, I mean they don't really do it in judo, do they? <laughs> yeah, no. like or, or wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, or wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I actually think that's the, the eventual. Yeah, you know, like it's funny. There's there's open weight jujitsu comps at the moment, but I think the, eventually that's going to disappear. Just like there's no open weight judo or wrestling comps. Like eventually, like it, open weight's cool when there's like the big. You know, if there's someone who's 110, but they're slow and you know, not too athletic, and you can you can be faster and move around them and so on. But yeah, in the it's already happening at the at the elite level, but you know, even your your casual competitor, I think, pretty soon, like you know, you're gonna have these hundred and fifteen kilo people that move like lightweights. Like, no, yeah. it's too risky to to fight against them. Yeah, and they're just yeah, they're just way too big. Yeah, no, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. because I, I remember when I first started in jiu-jitsu and I was, I think I said earlier, I was in America trend in Salt Lake City, and the guys, the trainer was actually matching people up. And he wouldn't, and I said, oh, I'll go with that guy. You know, he's kind of left over. And he was like, no, you're not going with him. And I was like, why? He goes, because you're like about 170 pounds. He's like 240 pounds. I was like, I don't mind. He's gone, no, it's not happening. Yeah. And his, his rule was if somebody is 20 pounds more than you, you don't roll with them, which is probably eight or nine kilos. Yeah. You know, he was like, no, yeah. we don't do it. Don't do it for insurance purposes. Well, he says, like, it just, he says, but it's, it's not going to help you. He says. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, it's, I do, it's a hard one, like from, you know, the, the whole self-defense point of view, like, you know, like I, I do think, you know, like when I started, I was, you know, as a 16-year-old, like, you know, I'd roll with all these big guys, but like, you, know, you can barely get injured at 16, you know, or you do and you get <laughs> recover within a week. But yeah, like for longevity, it's, it's, it's not good. You know? like, it's, I, like I would want my students, from one point of view, I, I wouldn't want my students to not you know, like let's say I've, someone gets to blue belt or purple belt and they've never rolled with anyone big before and they would actually not be able to handle themselves just because they've never experienced that. That would be a potentially a problem. But at the same time, I don't want that to be the regular training thing. I just think it's like something you just want to have them experience <laughs> and learn how to deal with a big person yeah. but then actually 
kind of forget it. It's a, it's a hard one. Yeah. But for, from a, yeah, from a longevity point of view, it's, it's probably better to just not, um, not roll with someone who's bigger. Yeah, especially like the 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 considerably bigger. Yeah, that's why I like uh, Jocko Wilnick, um, who was on Rogan's podcast and has his own podcast. He talks about ex Navy Seal. He talks about self defense, and so his first line of defense is run. So yeah, that's that's why I always like I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're good at that. <laughs> so I, I, I'm like you know we've had some guys at our gym and uh, you know that's like one day we're all joking and you know big Tyrone the trends with us. Um, yeah. And I said, you know, I beat Tyrone. They're like, why? I said, I would just slap him in the face and then run a hundred miles. And if he can catch me, <laughs> if he can catch yeah. me, he wins. But I guess he probably wouldn't. So, um, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's always the first line of uh, of self defense is just to run and keep going. Yeah, so, um, that's very true. <laughs> so yeah, so so lucky. Um, just wrapping up. Um, what sort of tips would you give? You got two or three tips you might be able to give people to um, get to sleep after jiu jitsu training. Like, what do you, Mike? What do you do? Do you try to get sleep straight away? Do you stay up for a while? What's your tips to wind down after training? Or do you go and watch YouTube videos? <laughs> yeah, you should do. That's what I was, was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that's like a really good thing to do just before you sleep. I don't know. Just like watch <laughs> one match, one match a night or something. Just like that way if there's any, if there's some sort of, I don't know. Actually, yeah, some people tell me that like after training they can't sleep. I'm usually pretty good for that. If I have a really intense session, I think like uh, getting the full adrenaline sort of thing, then sometimes you might feel a bit funny. Well, for me, I might feel a bit funny to to sleep, but I think yeah. if it's just a hard session, I'm usually I'm usually fine. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of think you should be going to bed a little bit unhappy about something that happened during your training session, like a little bit, just like a, enough that you're like, oh, I've got to fix that. Yeah, that problem. <laughs> and then I actually, I don't know. I think I, I have no idea if there's any science for this, but if you could actually, I, th- I think if you if you if it's on your mind just before bed, maybe you're more likely to solve it in your sleep. <laughs> maybe, maybe, or you're more likely maybe. to wake up, make, wake up thinking about it. So it, it yeah, 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 again, yeah. Might, I mean, I, might, I, might I don't think it should be helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that's why I like to watch a video. You know, like usually if, if there's something I'm working on and I watch a video of someone who's very good at, you know, like a, at the moment it's usually a wrestling thing, but you know, if I'm working a particular technique and then I watch a, someone who's an expert at that technique doing it in competition, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I need to do next time. Mm. So I, I know what I need to do then I just need to relax and show up to the next session and try and try and fix it. But, oh, yeah, I don't really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, three tips for people getting to sleep. Don't take it too seriously, whatever. Like, you know, if you've been training and it's seriously getting to you, like whatever's happened, then I think you're not going to learn anything from that. You know, if it's like, you know, you can, if you're losing sleep over it, then I think you've probably got a, the wrong attitude to learning, if that makes sense. Yep. So, like, it should be, for me, like, I, I'm very comfortable that I'm like, I'm going to improve my skills. That's that's what happens. Like, I something doesn't work and I... Yeah, through the process of just like going back to training and trying it again and again and again and, and thinking about it, like I'll eventually get better at whatever I'm trying to improve. So if I'm staying up all night and losing sleep because of something not working, then I'm probably not looking at it through the right lens. You know? Yeah, I would say try to get, you know, for me, get lots of sleep. You can get over nine, ten hours 
Oh, sorry, over over eight hours. Uh, nine would be awesome for me. I think that's probably my my right amount. And nap. These aren't even along the lines of the question you asked, but they're my no. <laughs> they're my three it's, things. It's good, yeah. No, it's good, yeah. I actually like um I like what you said about the YouTube clip actually before bed because. What I do like about it, and I know a sleep scientist who listen to this podcast are jumping up and down and going, what are you talking about? But I like the fact that you say you come home from training, something is bugging you, like a half-guard sweep. You watch the yeah. video that addresses that problem. So now at least yeah. you've got to bed with the solution in your mind. So what you're doing there yeah. is actually re- removing the stress from you before you go to sleep, as opposed to going to bed with the problem. So we would say yeah. the same for executives as well. Write down the solution, yeah. write down some notes, whatever it might be. But what you're saying is you kind of, you're solving that issue. So you're going to bed without the stress on your head. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That sounds good. Yeah. And so much, you, much better than I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happens when you talk a lot. You're not very good at jujitsu, but when you don't talk, you get good like you. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lucky, how can people follow you um, on social media or follow your, um, your jujitsu tips online? I know you got some videos on YouTube that, my wife uh, spends more time watching you than she's watching me. So, um, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, the, another, that's another the, story. <laughs> yeah, the YouTube channel is probably the most popular thing, actually. So, um, that's Absolute MMA St. Kilda. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I've got Instagram, which I very rarely use, but which is, I think, Lachlan underscore Giles. And I've also got Facebook, which is my name, Lachlan Giles. So, yeah. Hope that was a beneficial discussion for everyone. No, it was really good. And what what um you got some DVDs out lucky as well that people can download or buy online. What what DVDs do you have out at the moment? I do, yeah. Okay. So um I've got the high percentage chokes DVD, which is through BGJ Fanatics. I've got another one coming out on like my full half guard game through BGJ Fanatics. That's a, that's gonna be a really big one. I also have a half guard seminar available. You'll be able to find the links to these through my YouTube channel. So uh, if you check that, I've still got a half guard seminar available, and I've also got I did something for Grappler's Guide as well, um, which is a online sort of platform for jujitsu content uh, on on Butterfly X and Single X Guard. So if you want to check that out, that would be awesome. Excellent. All right, Lucky. Um, well, we hope to see an absolute team at Quintet very shortly. Yeah. Yeah. And look, thanks very much for your time today. I think there's some interesting insights there from, you know, a professional athlete and a coach that people will really enjoy and pick up out of it as well. So um, hopefully all the guys at the local clubs will be drilling next week. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. That's really right. good. Thanks, Lucky. I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Ian. So that was episode three of season three. Uh, thanks once again to Lachlan Giles for doing that episode. As you may have heard there, we had to do that episode nearly twice, or once in a, one and a half anyway. So thanks to Lachlan for doing that. Uh, as always, check us out at sleepforperformance.com.au on the website or Sleep for Performance on Facebook and at Sleep for Perform on Twitter. And you can email me at iandunigan at sleepforperformance.com.au. Until next month, sleep well.